Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Now, if you remember, we're going from uh, Christmas to Easter, looking at the story of Jesus through the eyes of Matthew. And the reason this is so important is because, and, and, and those of you that follow Jesus know this, you can lose Jesus right in the middle of Christianity. Would you agree? You can miss Jesus right in the middle of a worship service. You can miss Jesus in a prayer meeting. You can miss Jesus by being so busy of doing stuff in his name. And so what we wanted to do is we want to perpetually look at him through the eyes of the people that were closest to him. Matthew was one of his closest disciples. Matthew was a surprising follower of Jesus because he was a tax collector despised by the Jewish establishment of the day. And Matthew records for us a very interesting narrative because what Matthew is showing is that this Jesus of Nazareth, this peasant Galilean uh, carpenter, was the fulfillment of all the promises given to the nation of Israel for generations and generations by God. And so Matthew is a very Jewish book. And we've taken time. One of the things that Matthew does is he organizes Jesus' teaching around five big blocks of teaching, discourses. Um, and the number five is significant because the, the Hebrew Bible begins with the five books of the Torah, uh, the Pentateuch, or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, if you want to go the long way. Um, I thought that was funny. <laughs> By the way, if you're new, thank you for mercy, laughter. Um, if you're new to our community, a couple of things. Um, did I mention death, death of football and how horrible that is today? To go home and to watch PGA... Is that a game or a sport? I'm not sure. <laughs> Basketball? I mean, it's okay. It's okay, but the pros don't even play until June, so I don't even know what they're doing. What were we talking about? We were preaching, weren't we? Matthew chapter 7. <sighs> it's, tough. it's tough at the Erie household. The second thing is, even though we're in a uh, renovated movie theater and you're in nice comfy seats, church is not a spectator sport. Now, I'm, I think I'm funny. You don't have to agree, but you at least have to pretend that you agree, all right? Just so, can we get this straight, particularly if you're in the front row? And you kind of have, you kind of have the, one of the best views. I mean, the legs I'm sporting today, pretty solid. Now, Matthew chapter 7, we have paused over a, a section of Jesus' teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is on a mountainside, hence the name. And Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's Jesus' inaugural message as he starts to delineate what it means now that God's reign and rule has come to earth in him. As Jesus now gathers a group of disciples, he is gradually unfolding what it means now to live under the gracious reign and rule of God aside from the religious establishment that he himself is now the mediator between human beings and God the Father. And, and this is a... a a teaching that is really the most profound, uh, I think, thing that's ever been uttered by any person in the history of the world ever. You could literally spend your life in Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7 and never come to the end of it. But, but uh, we have to end it. And so Jesus ends it with three images that I've got pictured by a cone, some fruit, and a rock. So Matthew chapter 7, and we'll start in verse, I think it's 13. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the uh, scriptures up on the... Screen for you, Matthew 7, verse 13. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, 
For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus is using an image that would have been very, very um, prevalent and understandable to his first century audience. If you were to go up to the holy city of Jerusalem, you would find many gates. Some were wide, some were narrow. Some were well-traveled, some were not so well-traveled. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, anyone who wants to follow me enters through a gate that's narrow. It's a Jesus-shaped gate, is the idea. And the road is tough to find. Now, that's not because Jesus is tough to find, but it's because the normal flow of traffic won't take you there. You actually have to want to find it. It's like my wife and I, we live in Irvine. Our kids go to school in Costa Mesa. The 405 in the morning is awesome. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we start entrance on the 405, we, and it's going nowhere, and the kids have to get to school on time. So we have to go from this lane all the way over to carpool, right, in about a half a mile. And then we go three or four miles on the carpool lane, and then we have to go all the way back to our exit. All right? If you do not drive with tenacity, focus, and a little bit of urgency, you're going to miss it. Am I right? Because traffic isn't waiting for you. If you're just going to go with the flow of traffic, you'd never make it. That's kind of the image that Jesus is using. If you just go with what the majority of people are doing, you're going to miss me completely. Now, this image is not saying that God loves only a few people. Some people take it to mean that. It's not that at all. What Jesus is saying instead, when he says there's a broad road and there's a narrow road, the words in Greek, you don't get this in English, but in Greek, which is the original language, the words mean easy and hard. The reason many people travel down the wide path is because it's easy to do. I mean, literally, that's where most of the people go, and if you just decide not to decide, that's where you're going. This is just very simply what the easiest thing to do in life is. The narrow road doesn't mean that Jesus loves just a few people. It means, the word narrow there means difficult. You'll find opposition there. Right? Which is harder in today's world, to be greedy or to be generous? I think it's to be generous. Which is harder, to stay a virgin as a single person or to not? All the single people are going, well, I know the answer to that one. Married people, to stay faithful to your spouse in your mind and in your heart, is that hard or easy today? Not a lot of reaction on that one. I think it's hard. I think with the, 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 the junk that's out there bombarding us all of the time, to keep your spouse in view, I think that's really, really hard. See, it, which is easier, to hold a grudge or to forgive? To take revenge or to love your enemy? I mean, Jesus is very, it's not that he just loves a few people and the rest he doesn't care about. It's that, no, 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 it's like the 405. You got to want to get there because traffic isn't going to take you there normally. And the thing he does, which is so interesting, is he, he uses this image of broad and narrow. And so here's my traffic cone example. Okay? Jesus brings up the idea of destruction. Now, destruction here doesn't mean obliteration. 
What it means, it's the concept of hell, and it's so popular these days, I know. Uh, hell in the Bible is isolation. All right, that's the number one image that's given. It's, it's being excluded, not because God doesn't love you, but because ultimately you've made that decision to reject him. Now, this raises all sorts of questions we don't have time to get into. But I want you to understand, the image that Jesus gives is of a road that starts out really broad and seemingly liberated. But it ends with only you. No God, no truth, no goodness, no beauty. Just you. Hell isn't God torturing people. Hell is... I don't want to go there. Because we'll go off on that one. All right? We'll, we'll go later to there someday. Now, the idea is, and, and this is what's so surprising, because the narrow way is just the reverse. The narrow way feels narrow, but the longer you're in it, the wider it gets. Matthew records an incident where Peter looks at Jesus and goes, dude, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, Anyone who has left homes and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters will find a hundred times as much and persecution. In other words, thanks for that, right? That's why the road's narrow. The road's narrow not because Jesus loves just a few people, but it's harder this way. Followers of Jesus, can I get an amen? It is harder. Now, Jesus also says, my yoke is easy. What's he doing? Well, to the religious leaders and compared to the religious program of the day, his yoke is easy. But to those people that just want to do whatever they want, his way looks narrow. Until you start walking it and it begins to open up. It sounds incredibly narrow. I mean, when I first started following Jesus, I was an investment banker. And my, my preacher looks at me and says, you've got to start giving money. Why? He didn't have a modeling career to fall back on. <laughs> He's just to do it to honor God. And I'm like, well, I, I don't want to. I show up at church. I sing the songs. I listen to you. I mean, I think that's plenty. But he kept going. He kept showing me text after text that deals with greed. And greed is certainly one of my issues. And it felt very narrow to set aside a part of my income. The longer I've been on that journey, though, the more liberating it feels. Because I've seen God surprise my wife and me and my family with things we would have never have imagined. It's the same way with purity, right? The natural thing when adolescence and puberty hit is just to follow your desires wherever they take you. But I had folks around me that kept saying, no, 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 you, this, this, there's something to this purity thing and saving this for just one person. And I mean, that's like, that's pretty narrow, and yeah, I've got so many friends whose marriages are falling apart because of affairs and divorce. And I'm like, I'm thankful for the narrow way. Because the narrow way, the longer you're on it, doesn't feel narrow. The surprise is, it leads to life. The broad way, anybody can do that. And so, you can test this. Okay, try living bitter and resentful for a while. And then try forgiving and see which one breathes life in which one takes life. Try being greedy. I mean, just letting money rule you for a while. And then try generosity. Which one gives life? Which one takes life? Try filling your mind with lustful images. Like, give yourself over. 
And then, starve yourself just for what is good, right, and pure. And see which gives life and which takes life. See, Christians sometimes talk about something called the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. Well, Jesus talks about that, but he also talks about the reverse, the cost of not following him. Because we all follow somebody. And so Jesus just gives this very easy to understand, but kind of confrontive image, right? You can go with the flow, but that takes you nowhere. Or you can follow me, but it's a harder road than just what comes naturally, at least in the beginning. The longer I follow Jesus, the more I've learned telling the truth is the best way to live. Forgiving is the best way to live. Simplicity, kindness, and generosity, the best way to live. Working on my marriage, best way to live. Praying for my kids, best way to live. I mean, I can just, and I've tried the other. Second image Jesus gives. How are we doing, by the way? I know. I know, it's kind of heavy. It gets worse right now. <laughs> Verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. So as you're walking the narrow road, watch out for false prophets. Now, false prophets here means church leaders who come into the community of Jesus and lead them astray. They don't help them down the narrow road. They're actually beckoning them to walk the broad road. They come to you in sheep's clothing, meaning they'll look and talk and act a good game. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. Their inward character doesn't match their outward proclamation. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Just so incredibly creative. Do people pick apples from thorn bushes or bananas from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Ouch. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So Jesus, is, Jesus assumes that people, as his community gathers, will come and try to lead them astray. How do you know the good ones from the bad ones? Examine the kind of life they lead, and not just what they say. Right? And don't we see that? I mean, we kind of know this intuitively. Fruit here means not only the fruit outwardly of ministry, but the inner character the person has. Bless you, bless you. And I don't particularly like this verse at all. Because what it says is, you can't get away with pretending to be something you're not. Because ultimately, what you really are will show itself. So, lots of people claim to speak for Jesus. How do I recognize the ones that have his endorsement and the ones that don't? There are many ways, but one of the ways, Jesus says, is just examine the fruit of their lives. Do they give life or take it? Is it about them or is it about Christ? Do they increase and Jesus decreases or is it the reverse? And then, just when we think, okay, good, we survived that one, He adds to it in a way that confronts us all. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom. In other words, there are people that actually know that I'm the Lord, but they won't get in. 
Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven get in. Many will say to me on that day, the phrase on that day is a reference to the final judgment. Many will say to me on the day of final judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And in the scariest verse, I think, in the New Testament, and I will say, I will tell them plainly, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, do you understand we've built an American church based on having correct information on one extreme and focusing on the spectacular at the other extreme? And Jesus here questions both? I mean, this is scary a little bit because what Jesus is saying is there will be many who will know the right answers and there will be many who can point to spectacular things they've done in my name and I still don't know them. And I will say, depart from me. Ouch. The American church, at least the segment I'm familiar with, is based on getting people the right information. Would you agree with that? As long as you have the right information, you're okay. I, can't, I grew up in the great state of Ohio. The great state of Ohio. Okay? There are, other, there are other good states, but it's the great state of Ohio. It's no coincidence that it's shaped a little bit like a heart. Okay? <laughs> Just ponder that for a second. <laughs> California's an elbow, so you be the judge. <laughs> when I moved out here, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, I had to get a new driver's license. Some of you have heard this. I go to the DMV. Now, in Ohio, the DMV is a pleasant place. <laughs> it's not a place where you waste hours, you know? And, and so I'm there, I'm waiting in two hours just to get to the line that says, what do I do? <laughs> and they say, well, you've got to take a test. And I say, well, what kind of test? Is it a driving test or is it a written test? They say it's a written test. I say, you mean I don't have to drive? And they say, no, you just have to pass this written test. Well, what's the written test over? Here's this little book. Okay, well, when can I take the test? Well, there's a two-hour line over there. <laughs> All right, so I stand in the two-hour line. I spend two hours memorizing the book. I take the test, and not once do they ask me about how I really drive. They just asked me about the theory of driving. <laughs> now, with two hours of study under my belt, I fly through the test, I get my new license, and then it dawns on me that really the only thing they wanted to know was whether or not I'd had the book memorized. And this is what a lot of American Christianity is like. Do you have the right answers in the book? If so, you're fine. doesn't matter how you really drive. doesn't matter how you live. Just, you go, you show up and you say, Jesus! Right? That's the answer to every question in church, right, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, no, many, many will actually know the right answer. And I did not know them. See, the image Jesus gives of getting into his kingdom is like somebody throwing a party. And when you knock on the door, the host opens the door, and if he knows you, he lets you in, and if he doesn't know you, you're not, you're not invited. So the word, I never knew you, doesn't have anything to do with information. It has to do with relationship. The word no in the Bible is always relational, always. So Jesus just says, well, <laughs> I'm glad you did all this stuff, but I didn't know you. Now, do you know how offensive it would have been to the Jews of his day for Jesus to make himself the determiner of who's in and who's out? 
It's offensive to us. Thousands of years later, back then, it would have been triple so. He said ungrammatically. (laughs) It would have been even worse. Because for them, Jesus is claiming something that belongs to God alone. The role of judge. So what you have is a Jesus that says, everything that's supernatural isn't of me. There are things that are supernatural that aren't of me. So you can't just be swayed by, wow, that seems really cool. That must be of Jesus. Nope. Hey, I've got the right answers. I must be in. Not necessarily. Right answers are where the journey starts, but not where it ends. Any more than saying, I do, on a wedding day. If that were all your marriage was, I mean, think about the analogy. Well, I said I do. I don't live with her. I don't love her. I don't do anything. But I said I do, so we're married, right? Not quite how it works. So Jesus, on the one hand, when he comes across the brokenhearted, the misfits, some of you are here and you're thinking, my goodness, there's no way I could ever be a part of this movement. Jesus went, went to the craziest extremes to demonstrate that nobody was too sinful, nobody was too bad, no one was too dumb, no one was too slow, no one was too foolish. Anybody who called upon his name, he came and he would rescue. But then you have a religious establishment that thought that God was only interested in proper religious behavior. And there were some early in the Jesus community that thought, great, I can just say I follow this Jesus and then do whatever I want. And Jesus says, no, no, no. There's one way to know if somebody is following me. Are you ready? This is profound. If they follow me, then they follow me. If they actually do what I said to do, they follow me. It's shocking. Christians should be acting like Christians? Unbelievable, I know. But our churches are full of folks that think it is just enough to know the right answers and think we're done. Jesus doesn't leave that option open for us. Any questions on this? It's kind of a big deal. I'd like him to talk about dating or something much more pleasant. But he doesn't let up. Last, last picture. So we've got a traffic cone. We've got fruit, creatively arranged. And then we have a rock. That was creative right there. <laughs> Therefore, verse 24, anyone who, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I mean, they tell you in preacher school, use visual aids. I almost took my shirt off for this part and just showed you my abs, but I decided I better not. That was a little too loud on the laughing. But everyone, oh, excuse me, okay. Everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, in Israel, you got rocky everything. 
But it's it, a, lot of, a lot of places where you'd be tempted to build a house are uh, a bit of an illusion because though they look solid in the, in the summer, come rainy season, when the, the banks of the Jordan River overflow, that stuff just gets washed away. And so back there, you would dig down up to 10 feet to the bedrock that was below the surface. And Jesus isn't saying, I'm contrasting somebody who builds well and somebody who builds poorly. He's contrasting a choice of building sites. We all build on something. You build your life on something. And Jesus just simply says, these words of mine, if you build on them by learning to do them, the storms that come your way are still storms. Notice he doesn't promise, hey, there won't be storms. He just says you'll be able to withstand them. Or you can build your house on something else. You could hear these words and not do them. Now, it's very important that you understand Jesus is not teaching that we somehow get right with God by doing good religious works. What Jesus is doing here is really profound, and because we're not Jewish people, we miss it. So I want to take a quick detour to the book of Deuteronomy. Are you game? You don't have a choice, but I'm glad you are. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now, if I'm going to lose you, if I haven't already, I'm going to lose you in the next five minutes. Okay? You, you know the Ten Commandments? Yes? Okay. Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments. Now, were the Ten Commandments given to Israel to show them, or excuse me, were the Ten Commandments given to Israel to save them? No, they weren't. They were given to Israel because Israel was already saved. Do you understand this? The first verse of the Ten Commandments is, I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of Egypt. In other words, I've done the redeeming part. Now you are my people. I'm going to put you on display for the world, and here's what that looks like. Okay? The very false view is that the Old Testament teaches you have to work your way to heaven, and the New Testament teaches you don't. That's not, that's not true at all. It's all grace. But after grace comes obedience. You don't obey in order to receive forgiveness. You obey because you've got it. You obey because you're convinced it's actually the best way to live. You obey because although it felt narrow at first, it's like amazingly wide and freeing. So Jesus' commands aren't commands about how to get in. They're commands about what happens when you're in. And that if you think you can be in and not do anything, you're not in. You following this? It's what Paul writes in Ephesians. If you've been in church, you know this verse. We are saved by grace, through faith, not of ourselves. It's the work of God, so none of us can brag about it. And then in the American church, we stop the train of thought right there. But Paul doesn't. He says, for this salvation has come because we are God's craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to do. So you're not saved by working. You're saved for working. This is so incredibly important to understand. Now, the book of, all right, so that's one piece. Are you tracking? I'm working hard today, brothers and sisters. 
Piece number two is that the book of Deuteronomy is actually one sermon that a guy named Moses gave to this nation called Israel to remind them of all that God had done and all that was expected of them now that they were God's people. They were chosen to be God's people. And Moses says, listen, I'm going to now, God is bringing you into a promised land. If you obey, you'll experience the blessing of the promised land. If you don't obey, you won't experience the blessing of the promised land, and you'll be pulled out of there. But your chosenness is never in jeopardy. Okay? Tracking with me on that one. Deuteronomy chapter 30. We'll start in verse 15. That, I know the background's a bit painful for some of us, but it's necessary to understand what Jesus is doing. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. This is a very, very well-known part. Moses ends his sermon. See, I set before you today life and prosperity or death and destruction. I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, and then you will live in increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to the other gods and to worship them, I tell you this day you will certainly be destroyed. Now what does destroyed mean? You will not live long in the land I'm giving you to possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life. This is the most famous part of the book of Deuteronomy except for a prayer called the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. Moses ends this sermon by saying, you can obey or not obey. Choose to obey. Jesus is doing the same thing that Moses did. You, you have to see. Anytime you've got two ways, Jesus is saying, you've got two gates and two paths. One's wide and easy. One's narrow and it seems hard. You've got two different kinds of leaders that you will follow. True leaders or false leaders. You have two different kinds of foundations that you can build on. Me and my teaching or something else. If you were Jewish in hearing this, you would have understood exactly what Jesus was doing. He wasn't saying, hey, this is the way you get to be God's people. He was speaking to his community saying, this is what it looks like once you are God's person. Two ways sit before you. A way that leads to life and a way that leads to destruction. Now the reason this matters for us It's because Jesus here distinguishes between admirers and followers. Jesus Christ has a great many admirers in, in Western culture. Would you agree? Like our churches are filled with people that admire Jesus. He was a great teacher. Right? I mean, he, we like have our whole calendar around him. I mean, Jesus is my homeboy, uh, if you have the t-shirt. I mean, there's this, there's this great respect for Jesus. But Jesus isn't looking for admirers. He's looking for people to actually follow him. And so one of the things he sits before us is the danger that we have between confessing that we have faith and actually having faith. Just because you say you have faith doesn't mean you have faith. Ladies, 
A man says he loves you. He never calls you. He ignores you. He belittles you in public. He manipulates you and guilts you. Does he love you? No, he loves himself through you. Doesn't matter what he says, right? Suppose I am a chair salesman. I have the comfortable, the majestic Hercules 3000 indestructible chair. And suppose I tell you that though this chair looks a bit flimsy, that people of muscularity, it holds them up just fine. For those of us that are a bit full-ish, this chair is indestructible. It's comfortable. It's great. And suppose I go on and on and on and on and on about how nothing can like tank this chair. And suppose you say to me, hey, we'll go ahead and sit on it. And what if I refuse? Do you believe my words? Or you do, do you believe my actions? Ladies, the guy that says he loves you, do you believe his words? Or do you believe his actions? Okay, ladies, actions. It's the right answer. Just so we're clear. What Jesus is saying is, listen, just simply saying, Lord, Lord, confessing me as Lord, that's the beginning of the journey, but it's not the journey. The journey is knowing me and me knowing you. So how do you know if someone, if you have faith? Because faith will produce fruit. You actually end up sitting in the chair and not just talking about it. Make sense? So the question for us this morning is where do you fall? Are you an admirer or are you a follower? And if you're like me, Maybe you're a bit of both. Like, I've given my life to Christ. I've said, I want to follow you. You're the foundation. You're the gate. I'm in. And yet, as I was driving here a little bit late this morning, and a very slow person pulled out in front of me, there is the broad way of condemning them, or the narrow way of blessing that insane driver in front of me that isn't even going the speed limit, thank you very much. I mean, it doesn't matter that I'm 20 miles over because really, it's just a suggestion. That's a dumb example, but I think for a lot of us, a lot of us sit in this place and say, yeah, 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 we're fans of Jesus. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, we got the right answers. Awesome. But Jesus is just interested in that. He's looking for followers. Because the church has a lot of admirers of Jesus, but not many followers. So when we sit here, where is he inviting you to follow? Because we're big fans of Jesus until he starts messing with my money. We're big fans of Jesus until he starts messing with, like, sexuality. We're big fans of Jesus until he starts asking me to forgive what I think is unforgivable. We're big fans of Jesus until he starts asking me to leave something that I think gives me life. The way's narrow, not because he doesn't love everybody, but because it's not the easy way to go. And how many of his kids just end up compromising along the road? Well, I think life's there. I think life might be over there. And Jesus just simply says, no, no, no. This isn't just a one-time choice. This is an ongoing way of living. So would you do this? Would you close your eyes? 
Kids, you did a great job. You sat through it. You made it. The most boring part of the whole deal, you survived. I don't know about you guys. All right, close your eyes for a moment. Let's reflect on this. A couple of questions for you. Question number one. If you have said yes to this Jesus, is there fruit? Or are you just relying on answers and information? Is there relationship? Or is there just mere religiousness? Perhaps if you're like me, there's a bit of repentance involved that I've taken the easy way on the path of following him. And perhaps there are a few of us that have never said yes to this Jesus. And we don't believe saying yes to this Jesus has to be some big emotional, like manipulative deal. We just think it's kind of like saying, I do. Those are words that begin a journey. Those are words that are easy to say but change everything. And so um, I just, we just feel like we should always hold out for some the option of saying yes to him in an environment like this. Because it is a very simple thing to do. Oftentimes a yes to him just begins with a prayer. And uh, for those of us that haven't said yes to him, I just want to lead you in that. Not out of guilt, not out of fear. But there's something about this Jesus that's compelling. There's something about him as he comes as God in human form. And he invites the lost and the least and the forgotten to come find their place in God's work. (coughs) Something profound about that. There's something about a God who comes to us a God who comes to rescue and to forgive, a God that we don't have to work to find, but a God who's seeking us out. There's something about laying down all of our attempts to prove ourselves good and just recognizing we can't save ourselves. There's something profound about recognizing the gift of grace, unmerited, unearned, and just receiving that gift. And so if you've never done that, if you have, in the same way you don't go around saying, I do, every day to your spouse, you're good. It's okay. But if you haven't, I invite you to pray this after me. And there's nothing magic about the words. and You don't have to pray it out loud. But just in the stillness of your own heart, would you just pray, God, I want to receive this Jesus this morning. Jesus, I pray that you would come and forgive me and that you would come and heal me. And that you would come and set me free. I pray that you would invade my life. <coughs> Excuse me. You don't have to pray that last part. I pray, I give up my right to run my life. And I ask that you would take it over. And I pray that you would show me what it means to know you, to know you, and to be known by you. Now, if you prayed that and you haven't prayed that before, it's kind of a big deal. And would, would you just do this? Don't keep your eyes closed. Because I can see whose eyes are open. 
Because there, be, there has to be one person whose eyes are open to see if everyone else's eyes are closed. If you prayed that, would you just raise your hand up in the air and hold it there for a second? Because what I want to do is I want to pray for you. Okay, keep them up for just a second. All right, now, go ahead. Thank you. Now, just you guys. That's a really big stinking deal, first of all. Secondly, it's like a wedding. Don't worry about how you feel. Don't worry about what's going on. But if that really is the intention of your heart, this Jesus says he will come and answer, and he will come and forgive, and he will come and clean, and he will come and heal. And so what I want to do, would you please tell somebody? We'll have some folks up here that are very safe or somebody that you came with, but you, you got to celebrate this. Don't be ashamed of this. This is really big. And we want to be a community that helps you figure out what that means. There are lots of great churches around here, so if we're not for you, we can recommend others. But no one will be as good looking All right, I want to pray for you, and then we're going to worship together. Lord Jesus, I commit those whose hearts are open to you this morning to you, that you would bring the fullness of your salvation right now to them, and that there would be a lightness and a joy that is felt because you stand and simply say, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to whoever believes in him, who flops down on the chair, metaphorically speaking, shall not perish but have life. Or cell phones, either way. <laughs> and so Jesus, we honor you in the best way we know how by declaring your greatness. Amen. Would you guys stand as we sing together? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariners Church Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.